0: Hey guys, in light of the current COVID-19 crisis, I am teaming up with Himalaya to show our support. From April 1st through the end of May, Himalaya will match the exact dollar amount for every active subscriber to our premium channel and donate it to direct relief to support our healthcare workers. Go to your favorite app store, download the Himalaya app, search for Personal Revolution and subscribe to our premium channel to show your support. Let's fight this pandemic together. Welcome back to your personal revolution and I must ask do you have your rose colored glasses on put them on baby because the transformation that's about to take place in this episode this is a life changer this is a game changer this is reframing i'm going to change exactly nothing in your life and i'm going to change everything in your perspective i'm not doing anything i'm just your host You're going to change nothing in your life throughout this episode, and you're going to change everything in how you relate to your life, right, in your perspective. So without a moment to do, come on, get happy. Let us begin a happiness practice so that you can gain momentum, so that what looked like a 2,000-pound car is going to feel like a two-pound dumbbell. We are going to lift we are going to help you move forward and achieve the goal. First of all, how is your prep sheet? You feeling good? You get stuff done? You reached out to your stakeholders? They're all loving on you. You know this is the right goal. You fixed those light bulbs that are out in the kitchen. You're ready to go. Maybe put some air in the tires, did a little spring cleaning. Good. Good. Look at this. Not even a month into your podcast course, you're already making positive changes in your life. You're Sleeping more? Got a new pillow? Got a better comforter? I don't know. You know. But you know what you've done, and the people around you know what you've done, and you're showing up. So here we go. If I had to pick one episode from this entire podcast course that would change your life, it is this episode. Not the whole life model, not the SMART goals. Those rock, believe me. This is otherworldly, okay? This episode has simple tools that you can use on a daily basis. Now that you've completed the goal-setting exercises, you visualized and committed to and shared your goal, I hope that you're feeling confident about it, recognizing that, yeah, this is totally in your wheelhouse. As we move through this episode, we're going to get you into your mental game, right? Are you in a good place? Are you feeling fired up about what's ahead of you? I mean, I'm fired up about it. Are you fired up about it? Or are you thinking, I don't know if I can do this? If, if you're thinking I'm not sure, that's okay too. Stay with me in this episode. I am going to help you shift the way you look at your goal by helping you reset your perspective, recognize the assets you have, right? We took stock of that with the whole life model and believe that the future you want can and will become reality. So let's first look at the notion of willpower versus ease. When I worked in the healthy cooking industry, people would often ask me how to lose weight, right? Losing weight too often tends to focus on loss and its half-sister deprivation. The common philosophy is that in order to lose, you have to give up the foods you want and love. Mwah, wah, right? Who wants to do that? Ugh, give it up, give it up, give it up. The only way to lose. So I like to flip that, right? To flip that, I would tell people instead of focusing on what you can't have, let's focus on what you can have before you have the extras. So you can have desserts if you want after you drink 100 ounces of water, had nine servings of fruit and vegetables, and exercised for at least 30 minutes. You want that dessert? Awesome. That's your reward after all that. Sometimes when people lose weight, they have cravings because they're depleted. They don't have enough of what they need or what they're used to having. So let's deal with depletions like dehydration and hunger before you can have the presence of mind to manage your cravings. Because I'll tell you what, if you want to eat fries and you've had exactly zero ounces of water, I don't know, go chug 30 ounces of water and see if you still want those fries. I'm going to bet you don't. Or maybe a little bit less. It bought you some time. It filled your belly. That's what I'm talking about. So let's make sure you have what the body needs before you can have what you crave. Let's satisfy the needs before you give into your wants. Because if you don't satisfy your needs, the wants become so loud and desperate, they take over. And now you're not doing what's healthy for you. You know when you're in a tough situation, like you're sitting in a car with a bad driver and you just hold on tight, hoping you'll make it out alive? Anyone been in a tough Uber ride lately? When you look at your hands, your knuckles are almost white because you're hanging on for dear life. That's what it's like when you rely on willpower to get you through tough situations, and that's a tremendous amount of stress to your system. It's literally called white knuckling because make fist with me right now. Your knuckles turn white because you're grabbing on so desperately. That's not the way to success. Many of my clients have tried and failed to reach goals in the past by relying on willpower, by white knuckling it. It doesn't work for dieting, and it doesn't work for achieving these meaningful goals. It also just isn't a fun way to go through life, and I promised you in the intro, we're going to have fun. Think of the impact of that stress. You can't think straight because you're anxious, nervous, frustrated, scared, and relying on this white-knuckle willpower. When you're thinking clearly and you have access to your logical brain because you are committed to a clear goal that's meaningful and in line with your values, you can stay focused on the task at hand without white-knuckling it past temptations. For example... I want to exercise. So I have a simple exercise routine. I take a class three mornings per week, Monday through Friday at 8.30 a.m. I like the instructors and the other people in the class, and I know it's effective. I don't have to think about it. I just show up, do my exercise, and get on with my day. If I had to ask myself the question, should I exercise today or not, I'm testing my willpower. If I have to decide whether or not I will exercise, if I have that choice, then there's the possibility it won't happen. By not asking the question and just showing up, I'm better able to reach my fitness goal and focus my energy on other things. When it comes to your goal, the fewer decisions you have to make, the better. Asking too many questions lead to too many decisions, which leads to decision fatigue and means you'll have less willpower as the day goes on. That's why so many people find themselves cheating on their diet at night after being good all day. So what tools do we have to use instead of willpower? Insight and actions. Use the insights to craft an idea, right? To be creative, to to create something that you're going to do. And that's the action, right? Insight is the creative vision and action is the pursuit of that vision. Insights lead to actions. Don't question, just do it. I've heard stories about 50s housewives who simplify their lives by creating a predictable family meal plan Monday as meatloaf, Tuesday as pasta, Wednesday as breaded chicken, and so on. Mundane? Maybe. But it also kept the family fed without having to reimagine what we'll be serving today every night. It's crazy. Without the burden of having to invent new meals that would delight the family, these housewives knew their family would be fed effectively and could focus on other matters. Bring back the pasta night, right? In addition to staying focused on action throughout this chapter, I also want to demonstrate the invisible power of positive thinking to help you achieve your goal. Here's a client story. Emily didn't get her homework done one week, and I'm talking about her coaching homework, because she stayed up until four o'clock in the morning making apple pie. She wanted to make everything from scratch and wake up to a beautiful apple pie in the morning which she did. Unfortunately, she also ended up ruining her whole day and subsequent days because she was so exhausted from the endeavor. She explained, I just wanted to have an apple pie day. And I said, yeah, but if you have a good night's sleep, every day can be an apple pie day. She liked that. That was her insight. I wrote these words on the board in my office, every day can be an apple pie day. It sounds totally Pollyanna And out of context, it seems like, wah, wah, seems a little dorky. But it's so true. If you take care of your sleep and your health, every day can be the best day, right? She was feeling so badly she needed to create the best day, which ended up ruining her day. We all want apple pie days. And we all know that one person who's always smiling. Maybe it's your yoga instructor, a friend at the coffee shop, someone you see at the grocery store. They're almost annoyingly blissful. And Yes, you know, guilty as charged, and that's exactly what makes them awesome. You can't help but feel happy when you're around them. That's the invisible power of positivity, that person having the superpower of the smile. And this episode will take you there so that you, too, can have an apple pie day with a full night of sleep. Here's your first action stop point of the episode. One, name three people in your life who are always smiling. Go. Go. Two, what might they be doing or not doing that makes them so happy? Three, when's the last time you had an apple pie day? Last question. Recall a time when someone commented on how terrific you looked or happy you seemed. When was that? Why do you think you were giving off that vibe? All right, are you ready to hit the books? Let's get ready for a deep dive into the science of happiness. We are going to start with three cheers for Martin Seligman, who is the father of positive psychology. Before he popularized this concept, the field of psychology generally focused on what was wrong with patients and how to fix broken brains. Seligman, a University of Pennsylvania professor and former president of the American Psychological Association, instead studied what made people feel well. He led psychologists to focus on how the patient can be responsible for her own state of wellness. Slowly, scientists moved from exclusively studying pathos and aberrant behavior to studying what leads to healthy, long lives. By now, you're familiar with the concept that strong relationships and a positive social network are linked to a longer lifespan. As scientists research the attributes of a healthy mind and healthy life, they've revealed that a positive mindset is linked to physiological changes in the body, such as lower cortisol, which is also associated with a reduction of heart disease and leads to longer lifespans. When science is applied to concepts like happiness, positivity, and optimism, we learn the power that we as individuals have to ensure that we live better lives. Positive psychology isn't cheerleading or denying problems. It's not just about positive mantras and asking the universe for what you want. Positive psychology is a field that studies the powerful links between happiness and health, both mental and physical, and personal success and contentment. I like to think of it as the study of how people have terrific lives. The studies about meditation and monks and the positive impact that meditation has on your body, that's straight up positive psychology, along with a little neuroscience and physiology. The gorilla study that studies attention and focus, positive psychology, also worth YouTubing. Trust me, go onto YouTube, type in gorilla study, you'll see what I'm talking about. The multiple studies on aging and the elderly that determines why some people live longer than others, even if they drink a Manhattan at cocktail hour every day, you guessed it, that's positive psychology. And of course, the pioneering thinking in the field is central to what I do in my office with clients. My understanding of positive psychology started with classes I took as an undergrad at Cornell University while pursuing my major of human development and family studies. Each class started with a professor explaining, no, really. This is real science. I always wondered why they protested like that. Social scientists, certainly those studying topics like happiness and love, were apparently not getting the respect their biology and chemistry colleagues received. I've been very largely influenced by a book called The Happiness Advantage, written by Sean Aker, and Happier, Learn the Secrets to Daily Joy and Lasting Fulfillment by Tal Ben-Shahar. These two books were based on the popular Harvard happiness class that these two men created. It's called Positive Psychology 1504. In 2015, their class became Harvard's most popular course of all time, right? We're hungry for this. We're seeking this. We need it. And congratulations. Here you are about to get it. In addition to this course at Harvard, the Greater Good Science Center, which is part of University of California, Berkeley, offers a free online class on happiness through edX, which is ededx.org, to further the greater good. This class provides an overview of the field of positive psychology and the current thinking on happiness. A lot of these ideas are from there. If this chapter inspires you to learn more, I wholeheartedly recommend a deeper dive into any of those resources. Here are some highlights from decades of research on positive psychology, along with exercises and actions that will apply those findings to your work. So in addition to the great work that Tal Ben-Shahar and Sean Aker are doing with their class and the incredible work happening at the Greater Good Science Center, there is some good work going on down at Yale. My fellow podcaster, Dr. Lori Santos, has an exceptional podcast called The Happiness Lab. She's probably, her her work's come out more recently, but this is the realm, right? Whether you're learning from Harvard or Yale or Berkeley, man, there's a reason some of the greatest minds are focusing on happiness right now. So please put Dr. Lori Santos on your list as well for The Happiness Lab. So now I'd like to demonstrate the case for happiness. Let's get into the research. One of my favorite positive psychology researchers began her research two decades before Seligman's work. Ellen Langer, the first woman in Harvard's psychology department to receive tenure, conducted some legendary creative research. She must have seemed like a mad scientist at the time, researching the power of thought on aging and health. In 1979, she conducted a simulated time travel experiment, now referred to as the counterclockwise study. She took eight men in their late 70s to a one week retreat that had been retrofitted to appear as if it was 20 years earlier. While on retreat, they were encouraged to act as if the past was the present, as if it were actually 1959. They were given newspapers from the Eisenhower era and were encouraged to talk about their lives when they were living at that time. The results were remarkable. The subjects showed a significant improvement in flexibility, posture, and hand strength, as well as eyesight and memory. In fact, their eyesight and memory both improved by 10%. Strangers were shown photos of the subjects from before and after the experiment and perceived Three year drop in ages after one week. In another study, Langer's team asked hotel maids how much exercise they were able to get. They all replied none. Then the 84 maids were split into two groups. One group was taught that their work of cleaning was actually exercise, while the other group was given no such information. They were the control group. Langer wanted to see if changing the perception of their work as exercise, would have an impact on them physically. Three months after this lesson, Langer and her team evaluated the maids. The group that had been taught that their work was exercise demonstrated weight loss, lower blood pressure, lower waist-to-hip ratios, and a lower BMI. Langer demonstrated that what we believe our life to be has a direct effect on the physical aging process. By actively practicing happiness and shifting your mindset, you can achieve a positive impact on your health. Another study showing the importance of being positive is detailed in Sean Aker's book. Researchers set out to determine whether the happiness of doctors could affect the quality of their diagnoses. A group of doctors were given a set of symptoms to analyze. Then they were split into three groups. One was primed to feel happy. The second was given neutral medical statements to read beforehand. And the third control group was given nothing. The purpose of the study was to see how fast the physicians arrived at the correct diagnosis and to determine how well they avoided making errors resulting from inflexibility in thinking, known as anchoring. The happy doctors made the right diagnosis faster. On average, they came to the correct diagnosis only 20% of the way through the manuscript, nearly twice as fast as the control group. The most interesting part of the study, however, was how the researchers elicited positive emotions from the doctor, right? So what did they do to make these doctors feel happy? It didn't take a cash reward or the promise of a promotion to boost the doctor's mood and make them more effective. All it took was a small gift of candy right before they started the task. They didn't even get to eat the candy, as the scientists wanted to ensure that the heightened blood sugar levels didn't affect the results. The study proved that even the smallest gesture of positivity, here's a lifesaver, can give someone a serious competitive edge. What I'm going to help you do in this episode is give yourself that little butterscotch candy all the time. Just keep that butterscotch in your pocket and help you feel good so that you can get to the right answer faster, right? Get to the insight, get to the action, get this party started. An important part of maintaining a positive mindset is to reconceive failure as an opportunity for growth. This is what Sean Aker refers to as falling up, capitalizing on down moments to help build momentum, right? Me with the little girl saying she wouldn't play with me when I was five years old. Hmm, I guess being Jewish must be special. Say, for example, I'm experiencing a bit of a dip in my coaching business. Rather than desperately chasing for more clients, I can say, well, that's terrific. Now I've got extra time. I'm going to sink my feet into learning about new coaching techniques or work on my book. When you fall up, you find a way to take positive advantage of a situation you'd normally perceive as a setback. Another idea in Aker's book is the Tetris effect, also known as selective perception. This refers to the technique of training your brain to scan the world for possibility and then capitalize on it. Boy, do I use this with my clients who are looking for a new job. It's based on a study from the Harvard Department of Psychology where researchers asked 27 people to play Tetris for multiple hours over three days. For days after they stopped, they reported seeing Tetris shapes everywhere. They'd look at a brick wall and figure out which bricks could fall in between the others. Or they'd go to Costco and see Tetris shapes in the stacked boxes. This is called a cognitive aftereffect, and it shows how our brain can get stuck in the patterns we practice. That's a big idea. Your brain gets stuck in the patterns you practice. So, knowing that, Where's the opportunity to shift your thinking, step away from the negative habitual thoughts, and shift them into more positive ones? For example, if you look in the mirror each morning and identify three things you like about yourself, you'll begin to see these qualities more than the so-called flaws you might be focusing on. Here's a client story. Charlotte had a fantastic network. She freelanced and was interested in finding full-time work. She told me that her friends couldn't believe she couldn't find work. They kept telling me how capable and talented I am. When I asked her what she thought, Charlotte had a laundry list of the reasons why she couldn't find work. Her age, her lack of traditional experience. New York City companies won't even consider me, she said. Instead of focusing on her strengths and assets, she used those moments to tell her friends and me how wrong we were. She was putting a great deal of energy into explaining and convincing herself and her friends why she couldn't get a job. She was investing a great deal of time and energy, flipping her assets into limitations. Ah! Side note here, less than six months after we began our work together, Charlotte had turned down a full-time offer and was in the final round of interviews for two more jobs at boutique agencies, one of which was based in New York City. In an email describing the opportunity, Charlotte wrote, I would love this job, but even if I don't get this job, it's been such a huge validation of my experience, my resume, etc. And guess what? You think she got the job? Of course she did. But the storytelling she was using kept her stuck. It was time for her to rewrite her story based on the facts so that she could live out that future I already fast forwarded to you with. (laughs) All right, here's an action stop point. Pull out your workbooks, or if you're in the car, just take a moment to think. Of the positive psychology research that I've shared today, what was your favorite study and why? Next, think back to a reunion you've attended, high school, college, or family. Has anyone ever showed up noticeably different in a good way? How did you perceive that they were different, and do you know what caused the change? Do you know anyone who healed after a major illness and returned to life with a more positive outlook? Describe in detail who, how, and why. Have you ever acted in a certain way to someone in a position to help you, like a bartender, a doctor, or a police officer? Assuming you didn't bribe them or engage in other illegal activity, what did you do to encourage them to help you? How did it work? Were you employing any positive psychology concepts? Which ones? Please share a story where you had an opportunity to fall up when something negative happened and you turned lemons into lemonade. What did you do and how did it impact you? Selective perception is a concept I share in the Tetris Effect study. Is there something you tell yourself regularly either negatively or positively. What is it? Is there something new you want to tell yourself related to your goal? How can you practice telling yourself this regularly the way students practice Tetris? Okay, you have arrived. We are at... Probably the most popular exercise in my coaching practice. It's called the three good things exercise. This is the marrow of the podcast course right here. Are you ready? Of course you are. The best way to train your brain to think positively is by observing positive situations around you, positive experiences that you've had. The positive psychology exercise I assign my clients more than any other is called Three Good Things, and it's described in detail on the Greater Good Science Center website. That website is ggia.berkeley.edu. Each night before you go to sleep, write down or thoroughly think through three good things that happened to you that day. By taking stock of the day you've just inhabited and picking out the positive highlights from that day, you're engaging in selective perception. By carefully and thoroughly detailing the memory, your brain is re-experiencing the memory you're curating, and with it comes positive feelings and emotions. Let's say you're recalling the way your best friend's three-year-old daughter scrambled up to sit on your lap and asked you to read her a book. You can remember how you perceived that the child felt safe with you and how warm her body felt in your lap. You can recall her inquisitive expressions as you read the book or any sweet questions she asked. You can think about the pride you felt as she recited some of the pages by herself and the gratitude you felt being part of this child's life as she grows. By reliving those things, you may actually feel them again from tingles inside your body to perhaps even shedding a tear of joy. These are real emotions you're bringing back based on reliving a positive memory. The more specific and tactile you get with the three good things exercise, the better. For example, maybe you're remembering what it was like to see the sunrise and share it with a bird that sat beside you that morning. Maybe it's that first sip of coffee you enjoy by yourself in the morning. Yes, it can be that ordinary. By actively reliving the memory, you're accessing more positive feelings about it and making it more real. Do you remember the visualization exercise we did in the second episode when you were setting your SMART goal? This is very similar, except this actually happened. You're bringing the past into the present so you can relive it not by constructing it as a future event, but by remembering it as it happened. And that's just one, right? I said three good things, not one. So spend at least five to 10 minutes writing or thinking about three separate highlights from your day. By taking a moment to relive the best moments of your day, you will feel joy and gratitude for the terrific life you have. Here's an action stop point. Practice finding each of your good things. Think back over the day and try to remember all the details that helped that moment be special. Say it aloud, write it down, or just think it through. How did you feel before the good thing happened? What exactly was said? What did the person's face look like when they were sharing that with you? If you were playing with an animal, what did its fur feel like on your skin? Was it fuzzy and soft or shiny, small and fragile or big and strong? Was it raining? Were you wet or dry? Was it warm, cold, warm breeze or refreshing splash in the ocean? Was it beautiful snow or the warmth after being freezing all day? The more details you use to recreate the moment, the more powerful this gratitude exercise will be. So what do you say? Could you make this an action item for this episode? Could you do this gratitude exercise, this three good things daily between now and the next episode? This one's a game changer. I hope you choose to. As you continue this each day, you'll get better at finding your three things, and it will eventually become habit. People often tell me how much this exercise has changed their life. I've had couples do it who do this exercise together each night, and they find that it brings them closer. I've had parents tell me it's a family ritual they do every night, and their kids really look forward to sharing. It's one of the few activities you can do each day that instantly brings joy. So as you practice, you'll find you can't wait to do it. You'll be looking forward to it. Next exercise, finding awe. What if nothing good happens to you? Well, obviously, I can't agree with the premise, since waking up in the morning is a pretty terrific thing, as is opening your eyes, taking a shower, or having the ability to listen to this podcast course. So you can always find something. There's a second exercise that will heighten your awareness of the good things around you. This exercise is called an awe walk, and it's also from the Greater Good Science Center. It's very simple. Take yourself to a new place or be prepared to see a familiar place with fresh eyes. It's best if this place is somewhere in nature, a local park, a pond or a stream or a hike. Even a friend's backyard can do the trick. Give yourself some time, 30 minutes to an hour and take a walk. Observe what you're seeing. Actively look for something new, fresh, unusual, beautiful. Look for what you haven't seen before. Engage with nature. You are literally taking time to smell the roses. What might seem difficult at first will gain momentum. You'll notice a flower, petals, maybe even thorns. Thorns, my God, how exciting. How did nature come up with thorns? And look at the subtleties within the petals, the different pink, red, or yellow. Recognize this flower won't be here in just a couple days, right? It's changing. It's alive. And now you might find a bug or a worm. Bugs, especially big ones like cicadas or grasshoppers. These are like incredible machines, very impressive instruments. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to find a dead one so that you can get close and study it. Bugs are beautiful works of art. This is a snapshot of what you do in the finding awe exercise. You'll find what you are looking for. So look for beauty. Look for awe, whether it's a dead bug or speckles in the asphalt. By shifting your awareness to awe, you're cultivating a positive mindset. You'll find what you're looking for, and you're looking for awe. So the next time you're driving home and find yourself stuck in traffic and there's nothing you can do about it, you'll look for what's good about this extra pocket of time and put on a great podcast, right? Go listen to Dr. Lori Santos at Yale and the Happiness Lab, or spend a little extra time just thinking about the people you love in your life. Call that friend you haven't connected with for years. I call people and leave messages every time I'm in traffic. Instead of fuming about it, take advantage of the moment. All too often, a client will tell me that they had a great interview with a new company, exchanged some positive emails, set up a second interview, and then nothing. The hiring company completely ghosted my client, and this happens with unfortunate frequency. Now, of course, this is completely unprofessional, and everyone deserves a courtesy call notifying them when they're no longer being considered for the role, and ideally, some reasons why, so they can improve. When the call doesn't come, I remind my clients that this company has done them a favor by not hiring them. It's a blessing in disguise, as you wouldn't want to work for a company who has bad manners like that. I could just hear the, well, you wouldn't want to marry a man who treats you like that dear conversation that millions of mothers have had with their heartbroken daughters over the years. In the moment, it's not super helpful, right? But it's a small solace, and the words seem to work better in conversations of employment than in the heart. So when an employer isn't doing you right, thank God you dodged the bullet. When you foster positivity, you will have a strong framework in place in your life so that negative thoughts and experiences can't hijack your emotions. Be strong, right? Be strong with your positivity. It's like Teflon, man. The nasty stuff can't stick when you've got that strong, thick layer of positivity working for you. So now let's talk about your inner critic and silencing your inner critic. To start moving toward your goal, you need to send your inner critic on vacation for a little while. Good, solid criticism can be helpful as you hone your process. However, in the early phases of clarifying and pursuing your goal, a critic is not helpful. And we're going to get way more in-depth on the critic when we talk about the Disney model, in our seventh episode. So that's something to look forward to. Think of the critic as if it were snow covering everything with a cold layer. You can't have snow when it's 70 degrees outside. It's just not possible. Now, the early phases of setting and pursuing your goal need those nice 70 degree days. Your goal can't grow in the snow. In time, we can introduce the snow, but not now. In the early phases, criticism is not useful. Positivity is the 70-degree day we seek. So how do you silence your inner critic? First, observe her and don't succumb to her. This means catching yourself when you have a negative thought. Some clients have used the old associative trick of putting a rubber band around their wrist, and when they have a negative thought, they can lightly flick it. Alternatively, you can earn something special as a reward for observing all those instances of negative thoughts. A treat could be buying those new shoes you've had your eye on or something you wouldn't ordinarily do for yourself. Once you catch yourself having a negative thought and stop yourself 25 times, treat yourself to that special thing. Now, you may need to call on your partner, your best friend, or a family member to help you with this one. You can ask them, hey, if you notice me telling you a story about why I can't reach a goal or just anything else generally negative that I'm saying, give me a look or like, say, watermelon or some other safe word. By having your close associates remind you that you're going down that rat hole, you can help stay above ground. Here's one last exercise, and it's called my best self. My clients have used it, customized it, and tweaked it for all kinds of situations. It's definitely a practice favorite. So block out 15 minutes and start writing about your best self in the future. It could be next year or five years from now or 50 years from now. The important thing is to just keep writing about what your best life looks like. Here's what you look like. Here's who you're surrounded by. How is your health? How do you spend your weekends, vacations? What surprises you? Do you volunteer? What crazy things have you crossed off your bucket list? What are your finances like? Visualizing the amazing life you could have is powerful and exciting. It can lead to a sense of elation. Practice this daily until you feel good about it. And then think about how your goal plays into this life. Is it a critical component? Let's look at your positivity, your possibility, and opportunity. Throughout this chapter, we've looked at how positivity creates possibility and opportunity. We've explored how white-knuckling it through tough situations isn't the best coping strategy, and how, instead, negative scenarios can be reframed as positive ones, like falling up. I've also shared three specific exercises for reflecting on what's terrific about your life, finding awe in the ordinary, and developing a long-term vision of your best self. This is essential for achieving a positive mindset and gaining momentum towards your goal. My dear, The episode is almost complete. We are at the end point, which you know by now is insights and actions. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed pulling it together. I love the research. I love the exercises. And this is it. When you come back for the next episode, we're going to be talking about your besties, the people you know and love. So get ready to have a little nostalgia, some reminiscing. We'll be thinking about the wonderful, wonderful people in your life. So now it's time to take out your workbook and let's get to work. Insights and actions. So first is insights. Identify three to five insights from this episode. What are you thinking about right now that you weren't thinking about? Before you listen to this episode, how does it apply to your goal? It can be one of Langer's studies. It can be the awe walk. Or you can take a moment right now to experience that awe and happiness. Next, your actions. And because I love you, I'm already going to start this week with a couple of actions. Number one complete the three good things exercise five times before the next episode. Tip, do this before bed for a great night's sleep. So I want you to do this at least five times before you listen to the next episode. Number two, take at least one awe walk. And number three, compete the my best self exercise. Pick a time frame. And decide for when you want to do the My Best Self. Now, something important with My Best Self, write it in the present, right? Just like Alan Langer's study where the men returned to 1959, I want you to put yourself in 2028, 2035, 2050, wherever you want to go, put yourself there. And now, please identify five actions that you'd like to take toward your goal before the next episode. You know what your goal is. With these ideas, what are some things that you can do specifically moving the ball down the field toward your goal? That's it for today. It has been a real joy to share some of my favorite ideas with you today. Thank you so much. Reach out in the community on Himalaya. Let us know how you're going. Reconnect with your goal. Reconnect with your actions. Let's share what we learned. You can hashtag Personal Revolution on social media. Can't wait to hear all about it. And remember, before the next episode, please complete your prep sheet. Have a terrific time between episodes. I'm thinking of you. I am proud of you. And I can't wait to hear your stories in the community section of Himalaya. Thank you.